Broadcasting from the business capital of the world, this is the Podcast Business News Network. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Today's podcast has a lot of insight for all of us and can potentially change your life at the same time. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give the podcast a title. It's called We All Need a Little Chad. I'll explain that in just a moment. But before we do, I want to bring him on in here. He is essentially a happiness pro and can help you find the positivity in your life. He's also the author of a great book called Take Time to Be. And he's also the founder of a personal concierge service. And he's also a lifestyle manager. He's great. He's just a great guy in general. Nathan Hickman is back with us. Hi, Nathan. How are you? I'm great. Happy holidays. Hey, same to you. And I'm calling today's podcast with your permission. I hope it's okay. We all need a little Chad. And Chad, I love it. he was your brother. And he's since passed on. But we're going to talk about what you learned from him. And it's an amazing story because you learned through him and through his challenges and and also through his passing how to look at the positive side of life and you know sometimes we look at the passing of somebody that we love painful and and there's no getting around that it's there but you took that that pain those challenges of Chad and turned that into a positive um just a, a fascinating, uplifting story. You've shared part of it before, but we're going to go a little bit deeper with that today, right? Yes, we are. And I love, I love the name. We all need a little, little more Chad or a little Chad. Uh, yes, I completely agree. And and I want to give a little backstory so that people understand my brother. My brother was four years older than me, about three and a half, actually. And I was just born when he was diagnosed with medulloblastoma, which is brain tumors. And so he had two brain tumors. One, they were able to do surgery on. The other one, they were not. You know, again, mind you, this is 1976 technology. And so they were able to do radiation on one or surgery on one and radiation on the other. The radiation gave him again they didn't know how to really be as specific to the site so they basically in, in layman's terms doused his entire back and and head okay. with radiation and so that stunted his growth but also limited him cognitively physically so he was a six foot tall man in a 411 body and he really never got really beyond probably maybe a third grade type level education, but he, and he had to learn to walk four times in his lifetime because first he had to learn to walk. Then he had to learn to walk after he had surgery uh, for his medulloblastoma. And mind you, when he was diagnosed in 1976, they gave him single digit chances of survival. And then he had a fall because he had epilepsy and had uh, a, a hematoma where he ne nearly died. And then he had to learn to walk then. And then right when he was diagnosed in 2014 with lung cancer, uh, they found out the cancer had eaten through his hip. And uh, so basically if he would have continued to walk, that could have snapped. And so 
our family, even though we knew he was not going to live, it was important to us that he had hope and that he could feel that he could get better. And so we actually had a rod put in his hip and he learned to walk again. And he, he took 19 steps. My dad counted every one of them. Mm. And that hope is what drove my brother's life. He never thought of what was yesterday or what was tomorrow. He always was focusing on what he did have and what he could do. And that, that really is brings me into why I wrote the book, Take Time to Be. And, and the t- whole title to the book is Take Time to Be, how learning to live in the moment allowed my brother to live an imperfect life perfectly. So he didn't have any of the measurables that the world would, quote, give you in terms of uh, fancy job titles and wife and kids and cars and houses and things like that. But he had so much more. And uh, we lived a very special, unique relationship. And so uh, we spent a lot of time together. We, we really you know, left everything on the table when he died. But the reason for the book, the writing of the book was because when he died, I struggled with my own mental illness. And then of course lost him. And I I was angry at the world, to be honest, Steve, when he died, I had waited and I had been spending uh, weeks in the hospital with him. And then he went into the hospice and me and my dad left for a few hours and he died while we were gone. And I came into the room and said, are you serious? Like I leave for an hour and uh, he dies. And my mom and in her infinite wisdom said, Nathan, you gave him, per- you gave him permission to let go because he was holding on for you. And it was just such a dark place with my own mental illness, with anxiety and depression and then losing him. I stayed in Florida for a little bit and then I came home and I lived by myself. So I isolated and was nearly chained to my bed. I couldn't watch TV. I couldn't read. I couldn't listen to music. I literally just laid there staring at the wall. And then in the middle of the night, I would get some creative moments as I reflected on his life. And this reflection became so cathartic because I started to realize what his life was and not what it wasn't. Mm. It's interesting, Nathan, that you knew he was going to pass. So you, you know, some would say, well, you know, a little bit more mentally prepared for that, but it seems like you weren't. No. Yeah. But the thing that I did, that I do look at Steve, that's important to me is I have an attitude of gratitude and I learned that from my brother and I'm grateful that I had two months with him where some people may lose somebody you know, with a car accident or a heart attack or a stroke. And it's so instantaneously. And that's the beauty of our relationship is nothing was left on the table. There were no regrets. And we, we did have that time together, you know? And so as again, as I started reflecting, the reflection turned into these journals and turned into a blog. And then uh, I found a publisher and it turned into this book. And I, I wrote the book, Steve, in the middle of the night, on my phone, in my bed. And that's where I found most, it's the only way I could find my inspiration. 
And when I got to the end of writing that book, Steve, whether anybody read it or not, it served its purpose because it brought me to a place of utter despair, to a place of such healing that I'm at peace with the loss of him. I would change nothing about my life or his life. Take us through that journey that you've told me before, how his passing really changed your life for the better. Now you went through a dark period after he left us, but then things started turning around when you started writing the book. And many of the things that you learned from him, uh, how he approached life, even in the, uh, even in the face of adversity, uh, Walk us through that, how that, how that was so impactful for your life. Yeah. So what I started to realize as I teased apart his life, I started to realize, and there's three major components to the book. I think that there's three things that if we all do these three things and they're all simple, we can dramatically increase the quality of our life. And these three things are what changed me. And they are to have an attitude of gratitude. And my brother, my brother was always grateful for what he did have and what he could do. And so if we can focus not on what we don't have, but what we can do and do have, that's a powerful, powerful thing. And the third component is learning to take time to be in every moment. And if we can be in the moment and we can be present, we can put our phone down, we can go, we can not want to go to do to the movie or to that event, but we take the time to bring someone, even though it may not be something we like. Like, for example, uh, we shared music, movies, and sports, and a lot of his music wasn't necessarily things that I would have went to, Mm. but I knew the importance of taking him, and when we got there, Watching him literally stand up and sing the whole time, waving his arms in the air. Like, I didn't need to hear the music, Steve. I didn't need to, I didn't need to see the crowd just watching him be in that moment. And literally, he was in the moment. Like, he didn't care if the person behind him was upset about him standing. He was so lost in it, Steve. And so many of us cannot get lost in that moment like that. I think of, I think of those experiences of him watching those live concerts and how he was able to just, just live it and dance. And he couldn't sing. He didn't know most of the words and he couldn't dance and he didn't care one iota because it was, it was all about, that feeling he got. Mm-hmm. And that's what I remember. I don't remember the music. I don't remember the, the bands. I can still see him standing there, raising his arms, jamming away to nineteen seven late 1970s rock and the, the hair bands of the 80s. Those were his favorites. Wow. And same, those, same ty- those types of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're a DJ, so you definitely can relate to all of that. Totally. Um, but yeah, so I, as I started to reflect on these things, and again, having an attitude of gratitude, gratitude literally can rewire our brain. There's research that shows that if we're negative all the time, that that, that, that literally 
changes our brain. It rewires our brain. And if we can be grateful, you can also reverse that and you can start to see things through a different perspective. And so an attitude of gratitude, gratitude takes you, A, it brings you in the moment, B, brings you out of a negative space and really brings you to a point of healing. And, and when I started to be grateful for my brother's life and all the things he was able to accomplish versus, you know, poor Chad, why did he have to learn to walk four times or why did he suffer so much from pain? I mean, he took almost 300 Oxycontin a month, Steve, because that's all that it could do to, to dull the pain, you know, mm. and um, it wasn't abuse. I mean, he literally needed it, you know, he needed and he still struggled, but you, I never heard him complain or feel sorry for himself. And then that really started to make me think, why was he able to do it and I can't? And that doesn't diminish my suffering of my own mental illness or the loss of him. But what it does do is it starts to make me become aware of the power of our brain and how we think. And he mastered life. He figured life out. And I don't know if it was intentional or if it was because he had no other choice. It doesn't matter. But in the end of it, at the end of the book, I looked at what I had written and said, there, I will never find anybody with a better quality of life than my brother. Ever. Wow. Um, you know what reminds me of, Nathan, is a a phrase that uh, has been around for a while, but it's, it's called dance like nobody's watching. And that's what he did. But he didn't care. I, I'm feeling the music. I'm enjoying it. I don't really care. Who cares? <laughs> I'm going to do my thing and I'm going to enjoy myself. And there's a lesson in that for all of us when we think that, oh, I have to do this. I have to do that. You know, we don't put up boundaries. We... You know, we worry about what people are going to think, what people are going to say, all of that. And he didn't worry about it. I mean, he just kind of just lived his life. And uh, there's a lesson there. But why can't we do it? Why is it, well, we can, and you did, but why is it not as easy for the rest of us as it is for somebody like Chad? I think that we are so busy doing and just trying to survive that sometimes we don't even have the awareness that we're being so negative or that we're, you know, really what, what is causing us to struggle. You know, we could be in relationships where maybe they're not healthy. We've not set good boundaries, but you, you get comfortable mm. and you're so busy. You're so busy doing and you're so comfortable. And sometimes we really, we feel like if we change our life, away from this comfortable space that almost we're, we're, we're more comfortable being dis with discomfort than we are having discomfort of changing. Yep. If that makes any sense. Oh, it completely you know? does Be because we are creatures of habit. So if uh, let's say the beginning of an uncomfortable situation or a chapter in our lives takes place, and it's uncomfortable in the beginning, but then we just become used to it. Now just 
keep doing it again. It's, you know, I'm used to it. I'm just going to keep doing it. And then we don't realize that there's something better out there because we're just stuck. I guess basically it's what they say. We're stuck in a rut. Yeah. And, and, and again, I think that if we, awareness is probably the most critical thing that we can have in our life. Mm. And if we're, if we're not willing to be honest with ourselves and we're not willing to take the time to reflect, and that's why I think it's really important that, that we take moments where we're just away from the world and we're away from technology and we're away from all the noise and just can sit there and reflect. And that's what I did, Steve, when I wrote this book. There was no noise in my brain. There was nobody telling me this or telling me that. I I literally was just, I was in the moment lost in what his life was. And that reflection became my own awareness of what was lacking and what potential is really out there. Mm. And so when you can start to create awareness of like, oh, this is what's wrong. And then you can slowly start to, if you don't have awareness, you'll never change. And then you start to slowly maybe have the courage. And that's what we really have to think of is we really have to have the courage. You know, there's so many people that are stuck in jobs where they're either A, unhappy or B, being underpaid. And that's but it's still, it's comfortable. I, I don't want to go get it. It's like, it's, it's hard for me to go find a new job or start over, or I've been married for 20 or 30 years and neither one of us can really get along and we don't spend any time together, but yet it's still, you know, we're just, I don't know any different or any better. Or we're staying in it because of the kids or, you know, I mean, there's just so many things where, where we're just, just lost in, in what you call the rut. And we have to have the courage to be able to step out of our comfort zone. And my brother, my brother always did that. You know, he could have, he could have laid in bed and not learned to walk again. He could have just felt sorry for himself and said, it's just too much for me to learn to walk. But it was never about that. It was always about what do I have to do to be better? And he never, he discomfort never scared him. And people that you find that are happy, are living their best life, are what you what I would call most successful and most successful to me is quality of life, is people that are willing to continually get out of their comfort zone. Mm. Yeah. And it's it's challenging. We, we can't say it's not. It definitely is challenging to get out of our comfort zone. But once you make those little changes, you just start with a, a few then the big changes take place after a period of time. Uh, did he did he verbalize things with you when he was going through all of those struggles and challenges? Did you did you guys converse about things in general? No, it was always it was always even when he died, it was never really talked about. We never we never talked about. Uh, he never really talked about his struggles in any way. Um, it was really kept to himself. And so I don't know exactly what he was thinking. I just know what the outcome was and what he was doing. He was a very quiet, private person. And um, the only time he really ever showed emotion is he had 
a dog. He had a, a pause of the cause is, is a local organization. I think they're national actually, but they're local here where I live and they have service animals. And he had a service dog that later then became retired and he kept him. And that's really the only time I ever saw emotion was when, when that dog passed. And, um, that was, that was a powerful thing for me to be able to witness, but really all I know is the outcome. And even when he died, we really never talked about it. And I don't know if, if that's good, bad, indifferent, but I think he knew, but yet hope in Chad's life always gave him the ability to persevere. And so we really didn't want to go with a negative or say, you know, Chad, you're dying. You know, it's, it's more, he, he, hope is the only thing he knew, Steve. And hope Mm -hmm. is what drove every moment of every part of his day. And so as a family, I think we chose to not, to not go to the negative, but just focus on, on what we needed to do as a family and what we needed to do to get Chad to a place where he's comfortable. Wow. You know, I think about it for a moment when I said, you know, we need, we need more Chad in our lives, a little bit of Chad to me, Chad stands for can have amazing day. You can have amazing day. If you put your mind to it and you think in those terms, that's your Chad right there. It is. There's the community that he came from, which is Fremont, Michigan. And um, that community, he was really well known. And there's people uh, that say, if Chad can do it, I can do it. You know, mm. um, or they'll say, if Chad can do it, why can't I do it? And uh, we have a foundation uh, at the local foundation. We have a fund the Chad Hickman legacy fund and it's a way to keep his spirit alive. And we, we built a bridge in a local uh, arboretum type park. It's called Branstrom park and the bridge on the bridge is basically the Chad Hickman bridge of hope. And the, what I wrote on the, the bridge for a plaque was that in, in, in Chad taught a community that with hope we can always persevere And I think we lose, so many of us lose hope. And I think that if we can have an attitude of gratitude, focus on what we do have and can do, and if we can be in the moment, those types of things allow us to be hopeful. And you just have to have something to say, I, I, I may not be better tomorrow, but I can be better than I was today, right? We look in terms of you know, this is too much for me. So Chad didn't say it's going to take me weeks or months or years to walk again. He said, I'll go to therapy today and tomorrow I'll be better than today. And the next day I'll be better than the day before. And that's where we get lost. You know, when you start talking about, you know, weight loss or a new job or all of those things, it all seems so overwhelming but you just have to take the next step. And in Chad's eulogy, one of the more, more famous quotes that I, I spoke of that I really believe is Chad's life is uh, Dr. Martin Luther King said, if you can't walk, if you can't run, then walk, if you can't walk, then crawl, but whatever you do, just keep moving forward. And that's what Chad did is he just kept moving forward 
day after day, despite whatever the issue was. Do you think that you could have done what Chad did? I, that's a, that's a really, really good question. And, and, um, I think I have more determination than I ever gave myself credit for. And I say that because Chad did give me, and that's again, why I wanted to talk about this today, because Chad gave me the greatest gift in the entire world and, and, and it's Christmas. And so gifts are obviously given everywhere, but I, I don't need anything because I was given the gift of giving my life back. And when you start to talk about do, uh, would I be able to do it without him? I think he created an awareness that has allowed me to take my growth to the next level. But I also have as much determination as him where I'm able to push through. And so I don't know if it's, it's, if it's the uh, card or the horse, to be honest, Steve. Mm. Um, but I know that my brother gave me the power uh, in my mindset to change. And since then, I've basically taken on, you know, I'm not far. The apple doesn't far, fall far from the tree. My parents are very determined people. And Chad was too. I think I have more deter. I'm trying to give myself more credit than what than what I think I initially did. And 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 when I first wrote the book, I was going to have it out a year before I did it. And I paused and said, "No, I'm going to wait." And it took me that year for me to realize where my life is in this. You know, I'm talking about Chad and what Chad is doing, but where 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 do I fall in this? And that year gave me the ability to really see my life through a different lens and that I do have more determination and what success I was able to have because of all of this. And so that, that's a really tough question, but I know that I'm very determined and I think I'm a lot more like my brother and my parents than I thought I was. And that has also been part of my healing. Just an amazing story how the adversity was there. You lived it with him. He left, but he lives on <laughs> through you and, and the book and the, the changes that you made in your life based on his. And you could, could have never seen that coming, you know, prior to his no. passing. No, I mean, I was, I, I, I was in, when he was right before he was passing, Steve, I was in such a, a, a space of anxiety that I literally thought I was going to go crazy. Um, I was living off of, of uh, pills to, that were kind of downers, all prescription based. You know, as, I, I've always had a psychiatrist and a therapist, but I wasn't making the progress that I made after after he passed. And I was just always so heightened and just such anxiety that it would be hard to get out of bed, Steve. Like it was just, I didn't have a phobia of being in the world but yet it was just hard to get out of the house. Like, and, and Chad, Chad's passing, it took a little bit of time, but I, I'm right now, if you look at my life now versus 10 years ago, it's almost unrecognizable. I think my brother would be really proud of me. Mm, that's, a, that, that's amazing. Even, even to say that it just feels so good. I'm sure for you, but also to hear it that, uh, he made such a, a huge mark 
on your life. And now you're trying to pass it forward with, with your book. How do we find your book? What's the easiest way? Or even if somebody has a uh, question for you, a comment, or maybe they're, maybe they're struggling in a, in a similar way that uh, you might've been, how do they connect with you? Yeah. So if they go to take time to be.com, take time to be.com, then you'll find more information about the book. You'll find a blog that has uh, snippets of the book in it. You can buy the book there. And then you can also reach out to me on, on that. There's a contact page, but then you can also go to contactnathan.com, and that's contactnathan.com. And there you'll actually see me, because uh, I'm also a professional speaker, you'll see snippets of me talk about the book and about my brother. And you can see uh, a real quick clip, or you can see a few minutes of me talking about about him and kind of get a sense for what the book is. And there you'll find information on how to reach me mm. about my professional life. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's basically everything you need to know about Nathan. And it also has all of our podcasts on there, Steve, because uh, I've just so enjoyed. And this podcast has been as cathartic as writing the book to me, Steve. Uh, wow. um, I always, I, I always feel good when I leave and I feel like not only have I learned more to myself, but I hope that someone out there listening can take some of this and even if it's one person and say, gee, maybe I'll do this or maybe I can be hopeful or maybe I can look and be grateful for what I do have and can do. And that just gets me all jazzed up, Steve. Same here. Same here. And I guarantee that somebody has pulled something, at least one person, at the very least, something from what we've talked about. Uh, but I know it's a lot more than that. And again, I know it's a cliche that, you know, we've, we've got things to be grateful for just breathing, waking up is step one, but there's so much more past that. But sometimes we, we don't see that uh, and we need to. So Nathan, thank you so much. Really appreciate uh, you and uh, you being here and uh, everybody have a Chad day. Like seriously, think about it. Um, how Chad, lived his life. And even we live a little piece of that, you know, he, it sounds like he wasn't afraid to enjoy life because he didn't worry about whatever people, other people thought he just did his thing. Um, and that's inspired many. Thank you again for being here. Yes. Yes. And, 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 you know, he just lived his best life and that's all I can ask for anybody else is what do we have to do to live our best life? Exactly. And, and so, well, you have a happy holiday. I won't talk to you until next year. Uh, and so you have a wonderful Christmas and a wonderful new year and we'll reconvene the new year and have lots of fun stuff to talk about. Absolutely. All the best to you, your family, and I uh, appreciate it so much and happy new year. Thanks again, Nathan. All right, take care. We'll be right back. Broadcasting from the business capital of the world, this is the Podcast Business News Network. Adopt US Kids presents Multiple Choice Parenting. Your daughter just had her first breakup. Do you A, put yourself in her shoes? How could he do this to you? And for Sheila, she, she has split ends. B, console her. Oh, sweetie. This is going to happen a lot. Four, maybe five more times before you get married. C. Take charge. Got to get this all straightened out. Keep a little talking to, man to man, mano a mano. Hey, Steve. 
It's now a good time? No? Okay, no problem. Bye. Or D, help her find a new boyfriend. I know a great place to meet boys. The internet. Nice, single boys. Never mind. How about some ice cream? As a parent, there are no perfect answers. But you don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. For more information on how you can adopt, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt U.S. Kids, and the Ad Council.